to me, uh, brand voice is a element all in its own. And I think it's going to be huge when it comes to AI that you interact with, voice experiences you interact with. Don't forget about voice. Like voice is coming up huge as well. And we're all like fixated on AI and the metaverse. It's like, oh yeah, like you're going to be able to talk to screens very soon in a much more seamless manner, I predict. This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network. Available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. Christoph Trapp here. How's everyone doing? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Business Storytelling Show. Today, we want to talk about the cognitive load. And just as a reminder, before we dive into that topic, we are live on Amazon. And in the carousel down there, you can check out Neil Petty's podcast, uh, Storytelling for content designers, uh, very, very interesting show. Certainly, you can also listen to that on all the other podcast channels. But uh, big, big fan of Amazon Music here. You can listen there live, uh, not live, free, uh, just like you can listen to this show. So anyway, um, cognitive load, what is that? Uh, I ran across that topic uh, a while back in a Slack channel, actually. They were talking about um, designs, and somebody said, you know, this design is overloading people's cognitive load. Very interesting topic. Uh, and I wanted to find out what is that? Why do we need to have to think about it? And, you know, what impact can it have on our business? So Neil Petty is joining me today to give us the scoop. And uh, let's learn together. Welcome, Neil. Hey, Christoph. Good to see you. Blow it up. How are you Good doing? To- uh, such a how are you doing? <laughs> doing great. Uh, you know, super interesting topic. I'm always interested to learn things. Um, so you know that term. I actually had thought about that before, even though I probably didn't use that exact term when I was talking about it. But in you know, in a nutshell, what is the cognitive load, and especially as it relates to content strategy, content design, you know, those digital experiences. I mean, it's everything, and it's such a hot topic right now. Cognitive load is TMI, right? And when I say TMI, too much information, uh, it can happen in a lot of different ways. It can happen with a single term that you brand your product with. It can happen with uh, a conversation that you're having with your user, whether it's an email or an interface, and you're giving them way too much, and they blow a fuse, right? I think, um, you know, we have to be respectful you know, and empathetic of the fact that there's another person on the other end of the line. You know, that sounds so easy in theory, but I know people struggle with that, you know, like uh, don't, you know, don't, you can overdo white space. Sometimes one of the things that comes to my mind, Uh, but, but why is it so hard? Why do we even have to talk about it? Why do people put too much stuff or the wrong stuff or, you know, whatever, uh, in those digital containers, where, you know, of, of experiences, why does it even happen? Why does it need to be so difficult? Well, I can say one first thing, and this is no <laughs> offense to all of our teams and colleagues, but let's remember that 
all the stakeholders in one screen that you see on an app or the next like three screens usually involve, you know, depending on how big your organization is like three to five people. So everyone's trying to get their opinion in. And after a while, you, you know, you start to hit that critical mass of terminology and meaning and substance that starts to hit a peak. Right. And so the team factor is one of them. And, you know, myself being sort of the writer content designer type, uh, is sort of the steward of, of, Hey, like this, this is enough. This is too much. I think the other thing is, is that, you know, sometimes we get into this trap of over explaining and explaining things using our internal lingo and our slides that we see in our, uh, internal meetings and things like that. Uh, sometimes that can get caught in the whirlwind of production and, and design. And then before you know it, you know, those two factors come into play and you have this screen that is, or this experience that's too much. So, yeah. Well, certainly the internal committee, I mean, that's been a challenge my entire career, right? And and I think the biggest problem you run into is when you have people who are loud and proud sometimes, uh, but they don't really have a clue what they're talking about, right? So, I mean, one example I'll give you is I have yet, actually, I've seen one slider in my my professional career that I think works. But mm. other than that, I have never seen a slider on a website that does anything that's useful. It's just oh. there. People have to click it. Sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes they're automatic. I don't see any point for them um, for the most part, other than that some people who are loud and proud in meetings like sliders. And they're just going to ram it down your throat. And that's the end of that. Well, yeah, especially if it's tested well and research has shown that the slider is great and people love sliders. I've actually worked on projects before, like landing page type projects with interactive elements like that. And people are just like, oh, yeah, we, we got to keep the slider. Like 90 people clicked on it. But you realize from a design and aesthetic point of view that, oh, wow, if we can minimize or bring this into some other interaction that's in the future or maybe use voice, right? There's so many other sort of seamless mm -hmm. tools that are coming around uh, for your uh, experience that, you know, you can start to evolve out of those things. So, I, I hope people can get there. So let's talk about how do you, we actually create these experience a little bit. And I'm thinking about my daily work, right? Which is content creation, content strategy for the most part. And, you know, I'm creating, when I grew up in, as a journalist, I was creating content for really one type of, consumer and we were just assuming they would read like the end and we couldn't prove it one way or the other right they had the newspaper they would read like whatever but yeah. today we know for a fact that people sometimes read the content they skim the content sometimes they read specific uh, sections and then they might listen to an audio podcast that's embedded within the content and then we have people who, who just look at the headline uh, so what i'm trying to do is how do i get all those consumers you know pulled in with the content I'm creating, uh, but they're really three different types, maybe more, right? Of people, how they consume things. So so how do you do that? How do you actually keep all those things in mind and, and, and move forward in a way that makes sense for those audiences? Yeah, I think that's where partnering with research is really critical if you have it. And really that's when you have to put your analytical hat on um, you know, you're getting into audience segments and use cases, right? Like I've worked on B2B clients before where, you know, they're very complex, um, 
audiences and, and you want to really start to hone down and create some variations that you can test and work with your research partners. Or if you're the party of one and you're starting to read and analyze, you know, things like simple stuff like bounce rate, um, you know, how long people read and scroll on the page. Um, there's a lot of easy tools out there, but really starting to kind of think in terms of those segments like you listed and create those as your content strategy and stick to them and start to get some signals. And then you start to classify that data by user and by use case and all of that. Um, you know, a lot of B2B brands kind of hit this wall a lot. You know, they do a lot of content. They, uh, they create it beautifully, but they're not really molding it and, and modeling it after the person that's reading it and the, the audience at hand, which can be like you said, like it can be like two to three. So kind of keeping track, you know, using that kind of uh, putting your data hat on to see what you can learn from different models that spin different ways. And then uh, of course, those are chiseled down to their bare essentials. They need to be exactly what people need to read and know. Um, you know, you can do a short version, you can do a long version, you can kind of uh, play with them as you go. You know, I actually find it super difficult um, and it's it's really a craft to to find the right words that are actionable, that get the point across and that are not just a buzzword, right? Uh, but something that people can actually that make sense to them that they can move forward with. Certainly, I am a, a fan of um, asking our customers. I'd be remiss not to mention at this point, boxpopme.com, uh, try video research today. Uh, you can even try it for free and uh, go forward from there. That is my day job, uh, director of content strategy there. So certainly give that a try if you want to, boxpopme.com. Now, so what's interesting to me is certainly I agree with always talking to customers, but let's, or, or users at least, but how do you know that you're just overloading that cognitive load for people? Like, so you create something and then how do you know? Is it people are just leaving and people are not taking steps or like, and I know you can ask them, but so let's start with the behavior and then maybe you can ask what's happening, but how do you, how do you really truly know what's causing that overload? Well, once again, test and learn, having strict models to your content and your experience that you can codify and say, Hey, this is model A, model B, model C. We're going to test each of these and we're going to learn and see how they perform. I mean, even emails, like a, the simplest thing, you know, people have to go through, read a subject line, click through, you know, there's some pretty measurable things that come with uh, tools like that. But testing and learning has always been my forte. If you don't have that, uh, you really have to rely on your standards and really rely on your style guides and what you, any signals that you've gathered throughout. I think, you know, if you don't have testing as a capability or research as a strong capability, you know, maybe getting a focus group of people from your teams, uh, getting feedback from your other teams, uh, grab people that don't really exist in the marketing world, maybe grab an engineer or somebody who could care less, right? And dive into them and say, hey, I want your opinion on this and uh, tap them. That's what's really beautiful about small orgs is you can kind of start to get some organic signals and you know, tons of companies have done great that way. You know, and one one thing, uh, quick plug for the Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show, which I also produce, but uh, we talked about how do you ask better questions? So if I go to Neil and say, hey, Neil, what do you think of my haircut? Do you like it? Do you like my haircut? You know, Neil is going to be hard pressed to say, Christoph, that's the worst haircut I've ever seen. He's going to probably say, oh yeah, it looks, looks great. Right. 
um, right? I mean, you would tell me it looks bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would never tell you. I would never tell you the truth. I'd always tell you what you want to hear, Christoph. Uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, you, you gotta. That's when you gotta put your people reader hat on. I think you know, good people in this field can read people and have a spider sense about who's gonna be honest. I mean, I personally uh, was putting together. I have a speaking event I'm going to do next month uh, here in Austin at a WeWork, you know, all about brands and all about storytelling and uh, how that manifests in the content. And you know what? I texted the most cynical person in my in my messages that I work with and was like, you know, give me the truth, man. Like, what what do you think? You know, you got to embrace bad opinions and just understand the value that you can glean from those. There's always that nugget uh, that you can get from people that are brutally honest. And trust me, they live in every organization and salute to them like, you know, there's a purpose for them. So. And so when Colton Cox was on the show and we actually dove into the topic of uh, content design a little bit more, um, he he was talking about, we, we I th I'm pretty sure we made fun a little bit at Laura Ipsum, right? Uh, and like, why do you need to create, you de design something and then you say, oh, content goes in here. But nobody knows what that content is. Nobody talked to the content strategist. Nobody yeah. talked to the writer until, yeah. you know, way late in the process. But now I kind of got thinking about that. And I totally stand by that opinion. I think that's a horrible, horrible workflow. Yeah. But the one thing it does do is it puts a little bit of a restraint around me, right? So if I'm writing a Google ad, this is how many characters I get. Or maybe a better example, which I do way more often. When I create an Amazon product video, I have 60 characters for the headline. If I have more to say than 60 characters, it won't show up like the end. Right. So I have that constraint. So is there actually value in creating constraints so we don't run into those whole, you know, like the run on sentences and and like stuff that really is just a pain for the user? Yeah. And you were mentioning Laura Mipsum, and I think everybody listening to this podcast knows that that's now been replaced with ChatGPT and whatever you can plug and play from that tool. So <laughs> goodbye, Laura Mipsum. Uh, <laughs> so I thought I had a, a note there. But no, when it comes down to constraints, um, yeah, I mean, that's what good content strategists do. Uh, good writers do that. Copywriters do this well, you know, when they're working on emails and social media, social media have all kinds of constraints, you know, as, as we all know for paid stuff. And then, you know, creating content templates like documentation that doesn't really uh, actually write the thing, but actually says like, hey, here's where the cutoff is. Here's where the, um, you know, we want this to be 32 characters, keep it at that. And where's that coming from? That's coming from some sort of standard that the content design team has put together. And, you know, I think that is a great tool that you can get upstream when you plug in content designers early. I actually had a podcast episode on my podcast, Storytelling for Content Design, where I talk about uh, screenwriting and how we can use tools from that uh, upstream to start to kind of narrow down and, and get down to the bare minimum of what you need to do. Uh, but yeah, constraints are beautiful. Minimalism is beautiful. Um, people do read. I mean, they love to read, but you know, having those guardrails uh, makes something appear uh, with less cognitive load. So, well, I like to read too, but it's it's very different, right? So, for example, <laughs> when I when I read Sarah Winters's content design book, I mean, it's like it's a super quick read, right? Because it's it's very little content, uh, written content on a page. 
uh, but they're good points. So you can, um, but I wouldn't say, oh my goodness, she wasted space. You know, what I'm saying is, oh, that's really interesting, the different points she's making. Now, when we talk about being overloaded, I mean, I'm thinking back in my childhood and maybe even 20 years ago or whatever, um, sometimes when consumers are overloaded, could they take that as, oh, I'm just like, it's their fault. Like, it's my fault. I don't understand this page. It's my fault. What's going on? And But they probably wouldn't say that, right? They would probably just leave and move on. Yeah, I think uh, you're bringing up the biggest thing about cognitive load and TMI, which is the whole point is to build trust, right? I've been a part of teams and uh, corporations and brands that were launching in the midst of a, either a giant rebrand or a like realignment of their brand, right? And that's the brand connection there that I think you know, the whole point of cognitive load is the more the burden is, the, le the less the trust is, right? So when you throw them terms and you throw them statements and complex things that aren't in that plain speak lane, you know, the, the person's going to probably open up their Google tab and be like, I don't know what that means. I want to go look that up. Oh, gosh, what? I don't know what that term is. Who else does that? Oh, is that what American Express says? So, you know, like it's I, I think we we sometimes mistake people turning off our experiences as like, hey, they're going to have to go and investigate more because we've codified our language and we've kind of lost that human plain speak uh, element. So, yeah, that's that's it, it, that's a big point, And that's what I think cognitive load and kind of curbing it is all about. So. So if you don't create the right experiences, people might leave, people might not buy yeah. from you, or at the very least, they're not going to stay connected with you. Uh, right. And they certainly won't remember you in a positive way. So when you were saying, um, you know, people might open up a Google tab and, um, and, and investigate more. And I'm thinking, I, I don't see myself doing that. I mean, are there people who do that? But even if they are, it can't be that many or, or are there? Well, this is purely testimonial and I can't like name, but I've been in the testing lab before where people are going through the linear path and then there'll be this like, I don't know, I want to say like 15 minute pause of nothing. And it's basically, uh, you know, documenting their session. And we have the hypothesis that they are either talking to their spouse or partner about what they want to do at this point in the flow, or they're going and looking competitively at other options or trying to find something else that makes sense to them. Um, this is just due to me kind of hanging out in the research lab being, I love watching people see a word or a term and be like, oh my goodness, like that freaks me out. I never thought that would be an issue. And so, uh, yeah, no, it's just kind of a hypothesis of mine that people do investigate and they do take that time to, to go look at other things. So, I mean, I've done it before, but it also depends on what the product is. It also depends on what I'm trying to accomplish. It also depends on, I mean, my time, right? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't pick every battle in the world. I can't do any investigation in the world to, to see whether or not I want to use a certain product. Depends where it fits in, where it's the priorities of my problems, my jobs to be done. Um, yeah. not a huge fan of that term, honestly, because, <laughs> consumers don't have jobs to be done. I mean, they do, but they don't. <laughs> As a professional, I do have jobs to be done. But 
Um, but you know, that's kind of what it is. Like not everything has the same priority level. And so how do I move that? Uh, how do I, how do I behave in a specific situation? At the end of the day, it's not the consumer's problem anyways. It's the designer's problem, right? It's whoever creates the experience. Now, what tips do you have when it comes to building trust? And, you know, when in my latest book, uh, I haven't even mentioned that today. Maybe I should mention that quickly. Is Marketing a Good Career is now out. There it is. Uh, it's available on Amazon, ChristophTrap.com. So I hope you check that out. Um, but when it comes to building trust, what words should we use? And uh, the example I give in the book, Neil, is my, I said to my mom, oh, everybody says they're the best. And she says, isn't that marketing? Well, it is, but not everybody can be the best, right? So the words we use do matter. What what words, what techniques do you recommend to build that trust? Um, I'm going to go high level on that one, Christoph, and say uh, brand voice is what builds trust. Um, I believe there's a Nielsen heuristic about um, matching your turn, your making sure that the voice of the interaction is human. That's kind of this little litmus test that we do uh, as content folks to, when we go and research things and try to use that as a data uh, comparison uh, or a standard as a guardrail. But um, to me, uh, brand voice is a element all in its own. And I think it's going to be huge when it comes to AI that you interact with, voice experiences you interact with. Don't forget about voice. Like voice is coming up huge as well. And we're all like fixated on AI and the metaverse. It's like, oh yeah, like you're going to be able to talk to screens very soon in a much more seamless manner, I predict. Um, so to me, it's finding that brand voice and then finding those rules that ladder up to it. And those rules humanize who this brand should sound like. And I know some people are listening to this like, look, I work for a B2B software company. I'm trying to speak tech, you know, to technologists, CTOs. Like, I, I, I'm not trying to be personable, but I still think that there are things like uh, how you sound professional, what your nuances are. What, what is it that makes your brand sound human across the board? And what's that position that you take with your brand voice? And from that tree, you can start to build those taxonomy sheets or those vocabulary sheets and start to kind of cross check like, hey, is this what, is this what our brand personality would say? Is this, or will we do that? Or will we do something a little more, uh, more catchy or a little more funny? It, it really depends. But um you know, I know that doesn't really answer your question on what particular words, but I do think that brand voice as a whole, you can have the best vocabulary in the world, but if you don't have that down and you don't have that ingrained into your AI and all your uh, content designers, you, you lose. I mean, you certainly have to understand what you want your, uh, your brand to sound like, what you want to, uh, how you want to come across and whatnot. Now, uh, Neil, when uh, you work with brands, right, give us a quick overview of how people connect with you, who should connect with you, and like, I mean, who's your perfect client, so to speak? Yeah, no, uh, right now I work with a lot of small to mid-sized startups, um, as well as, you know, going integral with uh, more bigger organizations. Uh, commonly, it's the problem to be solved is uh, we don't have a story, we don't have a voice, we've done our logo, but we forgot 
we're, we're way beyond that. And we forgot how to really standardize our messaging and uh, do things like build our brand voice and our personality and uh, stuff like that. I think my work goes beyond just taglines and um, campaigns and things like that. I, I am very much an ecosystem thinker. Uh, you know, and that's due to my agency experience uh, back in the day, like in, you know, the, the 2010 and so forth, and then kind of going with the flow of UX. Uh, there's a lot of uh, brand uh, elements that paint the picture and really start to build the foundation and then uh, manifest out into the content across everything from your uh, landing homepage to your, uh, to your user flow in your app. So. I mean, I'm just baffled that brands would even say that to you. We don't have a story. I mean, of course they have a story. Everybody has a story. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist, right? Like, there is a reason why the company started. Uh, when you mentioned voice, I certainly, uh, we had the Westwaters on the show before, and certainly voice is coming a long way, super important. Um, I still think our our Apple assistant really needs to step up to the plate a little bit more. I don't get any correct answers from her on anything Ooh. ever. Um in Ouch. the last, I mean, it's just the truth. You know, you say, uh, you say, you know, what is Aaron Judge's batting average? And the answer is, in your district in Iowa, there are 16 judges. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, no, uh, that's wrong. And uh, definitely they didn't think that one through. <laughs> they didn't think that one through. Uh, but in the last minute here or so, talk to me about what do you think is going to be the impact of, you know, you mentioned voice, AI, uh, we had chat GPT is now out there, of course. Uh, how will those um, things affect the future of uh, content design and, and, and creating these experiences? Well, if you always wanted a uh, junior or mid-level senior writer to report to you, there it is. It's free right now on a website. <laughs> <laughs> you can use it to get ideas. Uh, to me, I think it's going to it's going to force us to get back to a little bit more of our creative and brand hats as content designers. I think we're going to need to lean more into voice and tone. Like I mentioned, personality de development, character development. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, and you know, complexity busting and, and making sure that we keep the output from AI in check because this episode is all about, that exact thing, you know, making sure that we're saying the right thing in the most choice, minimal words. Uh, but to me, I think we're going to see a swing uh, back to some more creative, savvy uh, um, disciplines. You know, I mentioned screenwriting, I mentioned personality development and things like that, that come to play when it comes to building uh, digital experiences across content design. So dialogue, um, things like you mentioned, like, you know, making sure that assistants aren't blurting out too much, things like that. So a lot, a lot of fun stuff ahead. I'm excited. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.